tonight, concerns after revelers gather to celebrate Halloween with no masks in sight. Plus, two B.C. cities implement mandatory mask policies, but Vancouver isn't one of them. Also... You want a shot in the head, buddy? You want a fucking shot in the head? What we're learning about a frightening racist encounter on a transit bus in Burnaby. And... This smoke, you can see this from anywhere in the lower mainland. Why the smoke from this blaze in Delta was sky high in more ways than one. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. COVID case numbers in BC have been spiking in recent weeks, and health officials have been telling us it's a direct result of large gatherings. A message that appears to have been lost on Halloween revelers who packed downtown Vancouver's Granville Strip last night like there was no pandemic. Grace Key has our top story. Clearly no social distancing on Halloween night along the Granville Entertainment District. Extra officers were brought in. Police say partiers were mostly peaceful, but some had to be removed. One officer tweeting, Group of us were just swarmed by an angry crowd on the Granville Mall after a street party erupted. Another tweeting, It was a Halloween like no other. Complete gong show all around. Vancouver police say their response needs to be reasonable and proportionate to what they're faced with. Adding physically attempting to disperse the alcohol-fueled crowd or issue tickets wasn't appropriate. Although there were a number of occasions where the police were met with hostility from the crowd, our officers maintained a professional and balanced approach. The Alliance of Beverage Licensees argues the 10 p.m. last call order and shutdown of nightclubs isn't stopping crowds from gathering. Allowing us to get at least several thousand of them inside reduces the number of people on the street at any given time and makes it a lot easier for the police to deal with staggered crowds who are coming out of establishments, right? It's purely unfair. It's unfair. It just doesn't make sense. Chit Chat Burger Bar on the Granville Strip hired extra security on Halloween night and the owner says he may be forced to shut down soon. Inside we follow the rules, outside no rules, you know, no social distancing whatsoever. So for us restaurants to be penalized, you know, Dr. Bonnie Henry, please let us. We're going to go out of business soon. Police say there were a number of arrests for minor offenses with no reports of injuries. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver firefighters were kept busy Halloween night. Crews were called to a fire in a storage area of a two-story commercial building in the 1800 block of Franklin Street. The damage was extensive. No word on a cause. And police are investigating a fire in a Porsche panorama that was parked near Turner and Lillooet streets. It's believed someone smashed a window and threw a lit firework into the car, causing significant damage. Both incidents happened at around midnight. A much different story in Surrey, where RCMP say they saw no chaos on the streets Halloween night. Officers, along with the COVID enforcement team, were out on patrol checking for any violations of the new public health order, which limits the number of people allowed inside a private residence. It's an effort to stem the rise of COVID cases, particularly in the Fraser Health region. Police say they didn't encounter any large parties. Transit police in Metro Vancouver are investigating yet another racist confrontation on a bus. Take the f***ing camera away, goof. This is the first time I'm like, this is a racist. 
Dan Elo Jr. Jimenez recorded this video Friday morning on the 123 Brentwood bus in Burnaby. A man with a face mask pulled down is seen and heard yelling racial slurs and threats at Jimenez. Then the situation escalates as the man moves closer to Jimenez and threatens him again before getting off the bus. Thank you. He told me like I'm a Chinese spy, spy from China. And then uh, spying from, uh, for him, like an inventory is life or something, and then saying bad words. The bad thing is he tell me, like, I'm going to rape your daughter. I'm going to kill you and kill your family. Like, I was shocked then. In the bus, no one stood up for me. No one say anything. They just bow down. It's all the feeling is there. Like, scared. Like, uh, I'm going to encourage, like, uh, people like me, like a victim like me, if you threaten like this, you should be calm and be brave. Take your phone, uh, do like video or something. Investigators have contacted Jimenez and are encouraging anyone who is a victim or witness to a racially motivated incident on public transit to text or call transit police. A mandatory mask policy takes effect today for all civic properties in Richmond. Masks will be required at community centers, libraries, arenas, City Hall and the Olympic Oval. They must also be worn in facilities such as the Britannia Shipyards and the Richmond Art Gallery. They won't be required for fitness classes or swimming, but will be for those entering, leaving and moving around those buildings. A disposable mask will be provided to anyone who doesn't have one. The policy is different from Vancouver, where masks are only recommended on civic properties. I actually scratched my head over the Vancouver decision, and I, and I say that because our council was unanimous in strongly supporting the use of masks. I mean, if we're going to make an error, let's be conservative about it and take extra measures, though they may not be needed, if that is the case. Starting Monday, anyone entering a city building in Victoria must wear a face covering. The rules apply to city hall, public washrooms and parkade elevators and indoor stairwells. The city will continue to perform regular cleaning and do all it can to reduce the risk of transmission. Victoria says making masks mandatory is another way of keeping its facilities safe during the pandemic. Well, bet the latest co- we'll get rather the latest COVID-19 briefing tomorrow, and the numbers are once again expected to be high. Our Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now with a breakdown of where the cases have been in the last couple of weeks. Keith. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Just one change about tomorrow. Just announced uh, Dr. Gustafson, who's the deputy to Dr. Bonnie Henry, will be conducting tomorrow's briefing, not Dr. Henry. Now, the number that's going to come out tomorrow is going to be a big one, probably in excess of 700, maybe even 800. We've been averaging 260 a day for the last three days. And where these cases are located are probably going to follow the pattern we've seen for some weeks now. Take a look at these numbers uh, for the two weeks that ended on Thursday. So the most COVID by numbers by far are in Fraser South, which is Surrey, Lancaster. Langley, Delta, and White Rock. Vancouver uh, is also there along with Fraser uh, North. And also just to show you the difference of where COVID is and is not, Okanagan now has 90 cases over the last two weeks, which is simply nowhere near as high as uh, uh, areas roughly in population size to them. And Vancouver Island, where I'm located obviously, 15 cases over the last two weeks. In fact, we haven't had a positive case test here uh, produced for some time, Colleen. Again, we're testing by the hundreds in, in Vancouver Island. 
but not uh, showing up here. So this is an example of where the virus has taken hold and is spreading and being transmitted. It's largely Surrey, Langley, uh, White Rock, and Delta. And again, Dr. Henry has said in the past, it's because of large gatherings at weddings, at private homes, and celebrations of life. Those are now against the rules. Public Health Friday order maintains you cannot have more than six people in your house on top of the people in your household. And we'll see if people continue to break the rules, because if they do, those numbers are going to continue to skyrocket. No kidding. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Two weeks after Global News revealed some City of Vancouver managers got merit raises amid COVID-19 cutbacks, a staff report on the 2021 budget details a possible 12% property tax hike. But as Kristen Robinson reports, one councillor says homeowners shouldn't be too worried. After almost $360,000 worth of designer furniture rolled into City Hall in September, a Vancouver staff report says trade-offs are needed to avoid rolling out a 12% tax hike next year. People can't afford it. It's higher than the cost of living. Their salaries are not going up. Under a 2021 budget-based scenario, a 12% property tax hike would balance the budget. 7% to bridge a predicted $60 million revenue shortfall and 5% to support planned expenditures. But Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says she and her colleagues voted to keep taxes down. The buck stops with council and the majority of council would have to go back on their word to maintain that tax increase at a maximum of 5%. If the revenue gap is covered with 57 million from city reserves, the property tax hike would be held at 5%. Without the ability to utilize reserve funding that the city of Vancouver has accumulates for for challenges in emergency situations like this, then yes, we would see either a higher property tax increase or a reduction in services. The other options, a 4.3% property tax increase or a 3% tax hike with deep service cuts and staff layoffs, including losing 106 police officers, 25 fire staff and 20 full-time equivalent park board positions at a time when parks use is up 100% during COVID and tent cities. And I think it's clear that our revenues are going to be down in 2021 and even likely into 2022. So I don't think that we can go back to business as usual. While 1,800 city workers were laid off earlier this year and a planned increase to the sanitation budget cut, city managers still received merit-based pay raises last month. Kirby Young says administrative expenses need to be trimmed in order to keep frontline workers. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A massive fire at a former former legal rather marijuana grow up in Delta this morning could be seen right across Metro Vancouver. This smoke, you can see this from anywhere in the lower mainland. This was the scene at around 7.30. Thick black smoke billowing from the B.C. Tweed greenhouse east of Ladner Trunk Road near Hornby Drive. No one was injured and no word on a cause. The plant has been empty since March when the company shut down operations. Uh, access was a challenge. It was a defensive fire right away. The crews uh, contained the fire to the shipping area and the warehouse area. The greenhouses weren't affected, nor were the offices. Some of the pictures, the smoke was like a big mushroom cloud. You can see it across the city there. Yeah, the warehouse area was full of uh, uh, shipping equipment, forklifts, um, pallets, paper products. So it was a fairly heavy fire load in the shipping receiving area of the building. RCMP are investigating a violent attack near a 24-hour shopper's drug mart in Richmond. 
This was the scene at the Richmond Center on Number 3 Road at around 5 o'clock this morning. Police say a man was stabbed several times and rushed to hospital with what are believed to be non-life-threatening injuries. No arrest has been made. Police are not saying much else at this point other than it appeared to be a targeted attack. Camby Road between Sexsmith and Brown in Richmond has reopened to traffic after a pedestrian was struck by a vehicle at about 1.30 this morning. The victim was taken to hospital with serious injuries. Police are trying to track down family members. The driver remained at the scene. Speed and alcohol have been ruled out as contributing factors. This weekend marks seven years since a young mother vanished from the Comox Valley. 26-year-old Julia Strobach was last seen on Halloween 2013 around Braidwood Road in Courtney. No one has heard from her since and her bank account has not been touched. Police have searched the area along with the 4600 block of Headquarters Road and the 1000 block of Ryan Road. Strobach, who would be 33 years old today, has a son who was just two years old when she disappeared. Family and friends of missing women are gathering tonight near Vernon to push for answers. The calls for justice come after renewed police activity in the rural area where the remains of one of the missing women was found three years ago. Megan Turcato has more. For years, advocates have been calling for action and demanding justice after five women disappeared from the North Okanagan and Shuswap in the span of about 18 months in 2016 and 2017. Four of those women remain missing years later, while the fifth, 18-year-old Tracy Genero, was found dead during a police search of a property on Salmon River Road. The latest push for answers comes in the wake of a police warning about the area. Since the discovery of Genero's remains, Curtis Segmoen, who is believed to live on the property, has been convicted of crimes perpetrated against sex trade workers and handed a probation order requiring him not to have any contact with people working in the sex trade. In October, after police determined people connected to the sex trade had been called to the Salmon River Road area, the RCMP issued an unusual public warning for escorts not to respond to the area and released a photo of Segmoen in the interest of safety. No one has been charged in connection with Genero's death and Segmoen has not been named a suspect in connection with any of the disappearances. But the latest developments have advocates focusing on the Segmoen family property as they continue their call for answers. Megan Turcato, Global News. A ceremony has been held in Vancouver to remember migrant workers who have died while working on Canadian farms during the pandemic. In Latin American countries, the Day of the Dead is when the dead come back to visit the living. Today's event was used to call attention to working conditions for migrants in Canada. When border restrictions were eased this summer, the B.C. government paid for migrant workers to quarantine for 14 days, and there were few problems. But in Ontario, that was not the case, and three workers died of COVID-19. There are huge issues with living and working conditions for migrant workers and living in really overcrowded, inadequate housing. Um, and obviously that's a problem at the best of times, but during a pandemic, uh, it's especially important that workers have safe living and working conditions. And as a direct result of the fact that they did not, um, those workers got sick and died. Well, you might want to check your lottery tickets. Someone who bought a Lotto 649 in New Westminster is $6 million richer. The B.C. Lottery Corporation says all six numbers were matched in last night's draw. The winner now has 52 weeks to come forwards. The odds of winning the 649 are said to be close to 1 in 14. 
18 million. On Halloween night in Quebec City, police say a man dressed in a costume armed with a sword attacked people at random. Two people were killed, five others were injured. While the suspect is not linked to any terror groups, as Raquel Fletcher reports, this incident could have been predicted. Police say the stabbings began Saturday night near the historic Chateau Frontenac and were carried out across the Old Port neighborhood. Seven people were wounded, two of them fatally, a 56-year-old man and 61-year-old woman, both from Quebec City. Police say the attacker was dressed in a medieval costume and he used a Japanese-style katana sword. After a manhunt that lasted two and a half hours, officers arrested a 24-year-old man, Carl Giroir, from a North Shore suburb of Montreal. Quebec City's chief of police called it a night of horror. A little before 1 a.m., the suspect was located by Port of Quebec security in the park west of Espace 400. We immediately went to the scene to neutralize and arrest him. That park is this one right here. Police say the crime was premeditated, but that the suspect chose his victims at random. He is not linked to any terrorist group. He is suspected of suffering from mental health issues. Police are also investigating a medical file that suggests five years ago he made verbal threats to commit this kind of attack. Quebec City Mayor Régis Labaume says this tragedy reminds him of the 2017 mosque shooting. He says a national debate needs to happen about mental health and crime prevention. Mental health is the biggest security uh, that's a challenge for the future of uh, our own cities. The deputy premier, who lives in Quebec City, described the events as barbaric. We uh, went from... Um, a happy day, happy Halloween day with our kids, with our neighbors, to a tragedy, a hor horrible tragedy. She says the government is making mental health services available to anyone who needs them following these attacks. Due to COVID-19 measures, all Halloween parties were banned Saturday night. The authorities say the killer's goal was to stab as many people as possible. And they say that if this had happened during normal times, there would have been many more victims. Raquel Fletcher, Global News, Quebec City. Military police are investigating the death of a Canadian soldier killed during a training exercise in Alberta. Corporal James Choi was an Army reservist from the Royal Westminster Regiment in New Westminster. The 29-year-old was shot Friday night while taking part in live-fire training at CFB Wainwright. He died in hospital yesterday. Choi joined the Canadian Armed Forces in 2016. <laughs> Rescue workers in western Turkey pulled a 70-year-old man out alive from a collapsed building today some 34 hours after a magnitude 7 earthquake struck. According to officials, he's doing well in hospital and never lost hope he'd be found. The earthquake at the Aegean Sea has killed at least 71 people and injured more than 900. Two days before the U.S. presidential election and the two candidates are targeting must-win must states. President Donald Trump campaigning in five states today. Joe Biden targeting swing state Pennsylvania. Jennifer Johnson has the latest on an election that could have big impacts on this side of the border. Late in the game, but still fighting to keep his job, U.S. President Donald Trump is campaigning in five states Sunday, dissecting the country from Michigan to Miami. Under my leadership... Our economy is now growing at the fastest rate ever recorded, 33.1%. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden is targeting swing state Pennsylvania with two rallies in Philadelphia. We need every single one of you to get out and vote.
on Tuesday. My message is simple. Pennsylvania is critical in this election. Running mates Mike Pence and Kamala Harris are both courting crucial votes in North Carolina and Georgia. As early voting continues to shatter records, close to 92 million people have already cast their ballots. Meanwhile, a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll shows Biden holds a double-digit lead over the president, 52 to 42 percent, among registered voters. We're hopeful, very hopeful. But Americans may not know who their next president is Tuesday night. States like North Carolina and Pennsylvania can count votes several days after the election. The COVID-19 crisis is still looming over the election. That new poll shows 57 percent of Americans disapprove of the way the president has handled the pandemic. I think December is probably going to be our toughest month, but when you look at what's happening in states right now, you're seeing accelerating spread. Somber months ahead as a new Stanford University study shows 18 of Trump's rallies, where attendees rarely wear masks, may have led to over 30,000 cases of COVID-19 and 700 deaths. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. And with more, Global's Mike Armstrong joins us live in Philadelphia tonight. Mike, Biden was in Philly today. What's his closing message? Yeah, that event was in the parking lot of a Baptist church here in South Philadelphia. A lot of Biden's speech uh, focused on hope over hate, as he put it, uh, but also on uh, getting out the vote, making sure people understand how important it is. In 2016, Donald Trump won the state with just 44,000 votes, literally less than 1%. So that was the big takeaway from Biden's speech today. Make sure people get out and vote. Make sure you help the people around you, friends and family, vote as well. Colleen? Mike, Donald Trump has been in Pennsylvania too this weekend. How important is it to take that state? It's 20 electoral college votes. So you're talking about a 40 vote swing, depending on who gets to put it in their column. Uh, the president didn't make it here today. He was in Michigan, North Carolina, Iowa, Georgia, and Florida. So he's extremely, extremely busy. But yesterday he was all over the state. Uh, he hit uh, Newtown, Reading, and Montoursville, all here in Pennsylvania. Tomorrow he's back in Pennsylvania. Uh, Mike Pence will be as well. One thing he's been talking about has sort of upset the district attorney here in Philadelphia. Uh, Donald Trump has been saying that bad things happen in Philadelphia, that uh, voters, uh, excuse me, supporters have to watch and monitor the polls on Tuesday to monitor for electoral fraud. The district attorney here in Philadelphia is saying that if there is voter intimidation on Tuesday, he has jail cells and people will be prosecuted. Okay. Uh, Mike, one of the big shifts in this election seems to be seniors. What are the polls saying? Yeah, well, in 2016, Donald Trump won seniors, and it was a big part of getting him into the White House. He won seniors, according to exit polls, by about 7%. That seems to have swung to Biden, according to the polls right now. Biden's leading uh, by about 10%. Now, it's an important group because they're the most likely to vote. Uh, that's a group that's grown since 2020. And also, some of the swing states are actually older than average. Uh, I've been speaking to pollsters who say if Biden wins by seven, eight, or nine points, that will put him in the White House. But if he can make it to 10 or 11, sort of those double digits, that would probably put him in landslide territory and have a big impact on down ballot candidates as well. Colleen? It's going to be interesting. Mike Armstrong in Philadelphia. Mike, thanks. 
Well, in other news tonight, uh, there is no doubt that Canadians will be watching the results of this election and wondering what the final outcome will mean for this country. A new Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News found that 69 percent of Canadians feel a Joe Biden victory would be good for Canada. Twenty two percent would prefer a Donald Trump reelection. Overall, 60 percent of people surveyed worry about potential violence if Trump loses. America's top infectious disease expert isn't holding back. In a new interview with the Washington Washington Post, Dr. Anthony Fauci contradicted the president's claim that the U.S. is rounding the turn on the virus. Fauci says the U.S. could not be positioned more poorly in the pandemic. He warns Americans are in for a whole lot of hurt in the weeks ahead. President Trump is facing more intense criticism from the Biden campaign over his handling of the pandemic. Former President Barack Obama says thousands of Americans could have been saved if the U.S. response was more like Canada's. If we had handled this pandemic like Canada did, 140,000 of our fellow Americans might still be alive today. That's, that's, That's a sign of how much leadership in the White House matters. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Wait until you see the police encounter a wrong way driver in Nevada got last night. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. We'll just say there's a bit of a Halloween theme there. Okay, good. Uh, speaking of Halloween themes, I forgot to look up at the sky ah, to see the moon last night. It was so bright. It was hard yeah, to miss it, but right? that's all right. Uh, it was actually beautiful last night. We had a bit of fog for a few spots, a little bit eerie and spooky, but we managed to capture the blue moon. And these were some photos that were sent in. This one from the Okanagan, captured by Marilyn. Oh, there we go. In Vancouver, Dickens captured this beautiful shot. My clicker's a little bit slow, but there we go. Oliver, this one captured by Bob Young. Fantastic. Another one in Port Moody. This one was taken by John, and I believe this is the last one that I have. Ooh, my clicker's slow, but it'll get there. We can enjoy the photos a little longer. At Gabriella Island, and this one was taken by Jane. So fantastic shots. Colleen, it's okay that you missed it. You saw it now. You're all caught up. You're caught up on the beautiful blue moon. All right, here's what we are looking at across Metro Vancouver. Our turret tower cam, we've got dry conditions. It is going to cool off once again, but it is going to be clear as we get in towards this evening. We're currently sitting at 6 degrees. We've got a northwesterly wind at 6 kilometers per hour. Overnight tonight, we've got fog once again. That'll take us in towards the early morning hours, so 4 for the overnight low. 6 to kick things off. Get out and enjoy tomorrow because we've got some sunshine in the mix, and then a big change is on the way. And soggy as we get in towards our Tuesday onwards. Highs tomorrow will be into the double digits as we climb up to 13 degrees. Here's a look at the satellite and radar. We are going to see the bulk of the moisture still along the north and central coast for the day tomorrow. And this same system is going to push in along the southern half of the province, but it'll likely be late for our Monday, even Monday overnight into Tuesday. So a heads up. And we do have a special weather statement for the rain that is going to fall along the south coast and then push its way slowly in towards the interior. A look at some of the rainfall amounts. The heaviest amount will be along the western edge of the island for the southern half of the province with upwards of 100 millimeters. And the special weather statement for the western edge ranging between between 100 to 150 millimeters. Now this is late Monday and continuing through Tuesday, especially for the early morning hours. Metro Vancouver along the North Shore Mountains, stretching in towards the Fraser Valley, a range between 50 and up to 75 millimeters. The winds continue along the North Coast, Central Coast, 90 and up to 110 kilometers per hour. 
this into Tuesday morning. The rainfall for the northern half of the province inland, 90 and up to 100 millimeters, and the snowfall warnings extending into Whitehorse and Fort Nelson with up to 10 centimeters. So lots of active weather with the system that is going to push in across the province or it continues, especially the northern half. I wanted to give you a bit of a long range because it has been mild. Temperatures have been into the double digits. We'll continue to see it into early next week. So it is going to be pleasant. It'll be wet, but it'll be into the double digits. And then we're going to start to see that change on the way as we get in towards the end of the week and our overnight lows will be close to or hovering the freezing mark. So heads up for all those gardeners that are out there, but we are going to start to see those cooler temperatures creeping in towards the long range, and that'll be towards the end of the week. Now, the northern half of the province, rain heavy at times, blustery at times, even in towards the morning hours. Highs tomorrow will be up to 12 degrees. The snow for the northeastern corners of the province will stick towards Fort Nelson, areas towards the south, drier conditions. A few showers across the central interior, highs into the double digits with up to 11 degrees. And the southern interior, a nice dry start, a few morning fog patches, an increase in cloud cover, but it should remain dry, stretching in towards the southeastern corners. Whistler tomorrow, beautiful highs up to 11 degrees and along the south coast, the northern and central half of the island, we'll start to see that rain developing as early as the afternoon but Metro Vancouver, tomorrow a gem of a day, get out and enjoy it. It's really late overnight and towards our Tuesday. We've got a soggy week ahead but it is going to be on the mild side Wednesday even up to 15 degrees. Colleen? I'll take that over snow. You bet. No shoveling needed for the rain. (laughs) No kidding. Thanks Yvonne. You might call this an example of life imitating art. An off-duty highway patrol trooper in Nevada stopped a wrong-way driver early Saturday morning while dressed as none other than a Star Wars stormtrooper. Trooper Fosh managed to stop the vehicle and phoned in an on-duty officer to take over. Trooper Britta Fosh was on her way home from a Halloween party and I think she has a baby Yoda there. (laughs) Just full costume. I know, it was great. All the accessories. Can you imagine, though, being stopped by a police officer? Oh, hello. Could you use the lightsaber, I suppose. <laughs> no, I guess that's, I don't know. I, I'm not a big I'm, Star Wars. I'm, I'm not up on my Star Wars either. Barry, what do you have coming up? Uh, well, special sports statement. I know Bob's doing the special weather statement. So I'm going to say special <laughs> sports statement from the Seahawks defense. They finally showed up. First time, it seems like, all year. Uh, big game from them against the 49ers. So Seahawks back on the winning track. So full highlights of that on another busy NFL Sunday today. All right. Looking forward to it. B.C. and Alberta are considering revising the legislation surrounding the biannual clock change from daylight savings time to standard time and back. Research has shown it impacts human circadian rhythms. And as Morgan Campbell reports, now another province may be counting down to the end of times changes. You may have a little extra bounce in your step after logging an additional hour of sleep Sunday morning. It's going to be harder for us to fall asleep, harder for us to wake up in the morning, especially when it feels like four o'clock in the morning when we wake up at seven right now. As we bid farewell to evening sunshine, sleep experts are urging Ontarians to make sure they get a proper dose of vitamin D. It's dark all the time, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to make it hard for us uh, to want to be awake, essentially. So get outside during the day. But Ontario could soon see the end of daylight saving time. 79% of the world don't follow the time change practice. We're actually in the minority here. A private member's bill tabled last month by a Conservative MPP has passed a second reading. It argues daylight saving time should be permanent, paving the way for more outdoor activities in colder months. 
we can be at the forefront uh, here in Ontario of, of getting us to shed off this uh, this outdated practice and hopefully get to a lot of the other jurisdictions around us to follow suit. Yukon moved to permanent daylight saving time in March and provincial leaders in British Columbia and Alberta are also looking at ending the practice. We can experience up to a 30% increase in the number of collisions that we investigate every day. Police have launched a road safety campaign in an effort to lower the number of collisions in Toronto because of the time change. We're asking people to, you know, focus on what they're doing, plan to take more time. While this could be the final time Ontarians set their clock back, it is being practiced worldwide in Arizona, Hawaii and Puerto Rico. The European Parliament recently voted to scrap daylight saving time starting next year. Morgan Campbell, Global News. Barry's here with sports, and I have to tell you, one of our colleagues was very late in returning an email to me because he said, I was busy watching the Seahawks game. Yeah, Seahawks, well, for the first time in a while, it didn't go down to the wire. The final score a little closer than it was, but uh, Seahawks look good today. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, as incredible as Russell Wilson and the offense have been this year, the defense has been picked apart, making for a lot of close games and blown leads like last week in Arizona. Seattle's defense is dead last in almost every category. They're on a record-setting pace, giving up yardage and points. But today against the 49ers, the defense decided enough is enough, and they came through with a spirited performance as the Seahawks got back to their winning ways. Jimmy Garoppolo hoping to take advantage of that porous Seahawks defense, but Seattle's D made an early statement. DJ Reed with the pick inside the Seahawks 15 definitely saved some points there. Russell Wilson and the offense took a couple of series to find some rhythm, but this helps just throw it short to DK Metcalf and let him do the rest. Turns the corner and just powers his way in for the touchdown. That is a power run right there. 46-yard pass and run. Seahawks missed the extra point, but they led 6-0. And that was just the start of a huge day for DK Metcalf. Second quarter down 7-6, but Wilson going deep for Metcalf. Perfect delivery. 35-yard gain there, and that would lead to this. Wilson to Metcalf one more time in the end zone. Strong hands by the big man to haul that one in. 13-7 Seahawks at the half. Third quarter, Seahawks defense getting the job done again. Bobby Wagner will sack Garoppolo, one of three sacks on the day. Garoppolo had just 78 yards passing uh, late into the third quarter, Seahawks get the ball back and they turn it into points. Wilson to the rookie DJ Dallas starting at running back today with Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde and Travis Homer all out with injuries. 20-7, to then after a fumble on the ensuing kickoff, Russell with his fourth TD pass of the game threads it to David Moore. A 26th touchdown pass of the season for Wilson to lead the NFL 27-7, Seattle in control. But the Niners rally with their backup, Nick Mullins, as he finds backup tight end, Ross Dwelly for the touchdown. 30-20, so a little bit of concern for the Hawks, but they will seal the deal as they cap off a nice drive with a second touchdown from the rookie DJ Dallas. 37-27 Hawks win improved to 6-1 and remain first in the NFC West. San Fran did score 20 points in the fourth, uh, but some garbage time points allowed. Much better from the Seattle defense. More from the NFC West. Second place Rams at Miami. Jared Goff and the Rams knocking on the door, but the Dolphin defense slams it shut. Emmanuel Ogba with the blindside hit. It's a fumble. Andrew Van Ginkle picks up the loose football 
rumbles 78 yards for the touchdown, and it's 14-7 Miami in front. And then 75 seconds later, Jakeem Grant will field the punt at his own 12, gets to the outside, gets that speed up, cuts it back, and he is gone. 88 yards for the touchdown. Two big plays by the Dolphins. The difference in this one as they do the Seahawks a big favor, knocking off the Rams 28-17. L.A. now 5-3. Chase Claypool and the Steelers. Huge AFC North showdown. 6-0 Pittsburgh taking on 5-1 Baltimore. Claypool bounced back from a rough game last week. Five catches today, including this eight-yarder that led to a Steelers touchdown and a four-point lead. But Lamar Jackson and the Ravens respond. A three-yard touchdown pass to Marquise Brown. Baltimore back out front, 24-21. But here come the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger to the Abbotsford kid, Chase Claypool. It's his seventh touchdown in seven games. He is such a scoring threat, especially in the red zone. Steelers lead 28 24 at that point, but Baltimore had a chance on the final play at the Steeler 25. Jackson's pass into the end zone over the middle, but Willie Sneed is rocked. Steelers go into Baltimore and win at 28-24. They're the only unbeaten team left in the NFL at 7-0. The Ravens are 5-2. Patriots and Bills, Buffalo leading the AFC East at 5-2. Patriots struggling at 2-4, fourth quarter. Josh Allen takes it in from two yards out on the quarterback draw. 21-14, Bills in front, but Cam Newton answers two-yard touchdown run of his own. It's a tight ball game, 21-21. Now 24-21 Bills, but the Patriots driving for the winning score with under a minute to go. Newton on the run, but he fumbles. The Bills recover, and they win it 24-21 as Buffalo goes to 6-2. The Patriots drop to 2-5. And And one more. Jets and Chiefs, New York at 0-7, the only winless team in the NFL, and they were no match for the defending champs today. Patrick Mahomes unleashes the missile, a 36-yarder to Tyreek Hill. 14-3 Chiefs. Third quarter, Mahomes showing some deft touch this time, lays it in perfectly for Demarcus Robinson, a 26-yard touchdown pass. Fourth TD pass of the game for Mahomes, who was not done yet. In the fourth, he will find Tyreek Hill again. It's a 41-yard score. Fifth touchdown pass of the game for Mahomes. Chiefs go to 7-1 as they blast the Jets 35-9. The Whitecaps will have one eye on the scoreboard during their match tonight versus Portland. Vancouver needs to beat the Timbers. If they don't win, then they'll need a Colorado loss to keep themselves mathematically alive in the playoffs. Right now, the Rapids are in the first half versus Seattle, tied 1-1. The Whitecaps kick off in about a half hour. We'll have highlights at 11. MLS tonight, Toronto FC in Miami. TFC still in the hunt for first in the East, currently second right now behind Philadelphia. They were down a goal in the second half, but a great play by Aya Akinola. Chests it down and then fires it in to draw TFC even with Inter-Miami. And then, after a foul in the box, Alejandro Pozuelo converts from the spot. 2-1 TFC win. So hopes for the supporter shield still alive with one match to go. English Premiership, Everton and Newcastle. Everton with a chance to reclaim first place from Liverpool. But Newcastle had different ideas, already up 1-0. Callum Wilson gets his second of the match to make it 2-0. Everton got one back in stoppage time. Dominic. Calvert to win with the uh, deft deflection here, but Everton falls short 2-1 in the final. Everton fall the third, a point behind.
Tottenham. Manchester United and Arsenal both off to stuttering starts this EPL season. Not much happening mid-second half. Paul Pogba with the foul in the box. Penalty awarded there. And Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang converts from the spot. That was it. Arsenal win 1-0. First EPL win at Old Trafford since 2006. With the loss, Man U sitting 15th in the 20-team EPL. Final round of the Bermuda Championship on the PGA Tour. Ontario's David Hearn had a nice week. Birdie here at the 11th. And he finished tied for eighth, won 117,000. Merritt's Roger Sloan tied 16th, won 61,000. Veteran Brian Gay playing the 18th, a shot off the lead, needs birdie to tie. Tough side hill lie, but check out the approach. Sticks it to a foot and a half. Tap in birdie there, forces a playoff with Wyndham Clark. First playoff hole, and Gay will roll in the birdie putt to put the pressure on Clark, who will need to make this eight-footer to continue the playoff, but he misses, and 48-year-old Brian Gay wins his fourth PGA tournament, but the first since 2013. F1 from Italy, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix, Mercedes starting 1-2 on the grid, Valtteri Bottas on the pole, Lewis Hamilton right beside him, on board here with Canadian Lance Stroll, making some contact there, suffered some front wing damage, and he ended up out of the points in 13th place today. Guess who won? Lewis Hamilton, his ninth victory this year, record-setting 93rd of his career, and a record seventh straight constructor's title for Mercedes as Bottas was second and Daniel Ricciardo finished third. And again, Whitecaps, big game tonight against uh, Portland. We'll have highlights at 11. Colleen. Never before have we had such appreciation for our health care workers. I'm, I'm sure you guys will agree. And those at one neonatal intensive care unit went above and beyond last night to help some parents celebrate Halloween. These are babies in the NICU at, a, at Jacobs Medical Center in UC San Diego Health. As you can see, dressed up for their very first Halloween. The parents provided the costumes and the staff helped them make it happen. These, of course, are premature babies, uh, some weighing less than a pound or dealing with other serious health issues. This year, their parents are helping to spread some smiles to all of us. Aren't they adorable? Great costumes as well. I know, so little. Um, There was a lot of concern, however, that this year kids wouldn't be able to trick or treat because of the pandemic, of course, but clearly that was not the case. Please take one treat and stay six feet apart. Okay, you're allowed to choose one. There, a nice lollipop, good boy. This is from the Port Moody home of one of our photographers. He and his wife set up a very safe Halloween experience for kids, and the kids in turn behaved like perfect little ghouls and goblins. They took home candy and nothing else. Clearly, they've all been paying attention to Dr. Bonnie Henry, something the adults on the Granville Strip last night might want to start doing. (laughs) Just saying. Took a lot of self-control just to grab one there. I oh, I bet it did. I bet what if it you did. touch them? Once you, you touch them, that's yours. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good. Well, maybe that's, for yeah. next year, There's touch a them all, and then you got to take them. <laughs> no kidding. That's the news hour for tonight. Jordan's here at eleven o'clock. Stay with us now for sixty minutes, and have a good night.